Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Support for MPB comes from the Woodward Hines Education Foundation, committed to helping more Mississippians obtain post-secondary credentials, college certificates, and degrees that lead to employment. More information about Woodward Hines Education Foundation at woodwardhines.org. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, February 9th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, find out why a Mississippi representative revealed a gun in the Capitol as the debate over state gun laws continues. I'm sure everybody knows what this is. And yesterday it was expressed to us that the law says that we can bring this in here then, with this. Then what's next for a new measure to reauthorize Medicaid? The House is sending their bill over to the Senate. And we'll hear from the head of the Teach for America program as they celebrate 25 years placing teachers in underserved parts of the state. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A Mississippi lawmaker says he was trying to make a point about the hypocrisy of gun laws when he held up an unloaded pistol during a debate yesterday. Democratic Representative Charles Young of Meridian held the gun over his head Thursday in the House chamber full of lawmakers, pages, reporters and other spectators. He also held up his state-issued enhanced concealed carry gun permit. He says he was questioning a rule of the Mississippi House and Senate. Ladies and gentlemen of the Mississippi House of Representatives, I'm sure everybody knows what this is, and yesterday it was expressed to us that the law says that we can bring this in here with this. This is the new concealed care permit as issued by the state of Mississippi. I'm sure all of you know that the legislature takes unprecedented authority over state law. If we have a rule here, that rule trumps state law. And every time a gun bill has come up, I have asked the House leadership about Joint Rule 37. Let's grow up. If this is what we want, let's change Representative Young ran out of time before finishing his remarks. The House and Senate's Joint Rule 37 says only law enforcement officers may have a firearm inside the state capitol unless a majority of legislators grant a person permission to carry. The 2011 Mississippi law in question lets people carry guns almost anywhere on public property after taking a training course and getting an enhanced concealed carry license. Representative Young's display comes a day after the House passed House Bill 1083, which would void rules that limit where people can carry guns on public property in Mississippi, including college campuses. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier his position. What's at issue is whether or not state law or the rules of the Mississippi state legislature should be followed and adhered to. We have a Supreme Court decision in Gunn 
versus Hughes that has set a precedent. And the precedent was that the Mississippi State legislators' rules trumped state law. So in the rules of this body, the rules strictly prohibit any individual other than duly authorized law enforcement officers being able to carry and possess a weapon on the grounds or in the building. What do our people involved in security, our sergeant at arms for the House and the Senate, the Capitol Police, what are they to do in knowing the law but not being to able to uphold the law? It puts them in a very precarious position. Employees here at the Capitol have no rights. They have no protections. So if the Speaker or the clerk decide that they are terminated for stopping a member of the legislature for coming in with a firearm, where the joint rules says, no, you can't have a firearm, what course of action takes place? So my concern is with the employment and security of law enforcement and our security personnel here at the Capitol, we're not going to continue to be bigots and hypocrites. If we have a majority and if we establish a law or a rule, let's adhere to it. And if we're truly concerned about the safety and protection of the people of this state, of the employees of this Capitol, then let's make certain that we address and deal with the issue. Why were you asked to leave? The speaker made a decision that he didn't want to address whether or not state law or the joint rule would take precedent. And according to the joint rule, we're not allowed to carry a weapon. So he decided that he would enforce the rule with me and no one else that he's knowledgeable of that carries weapons. Do you have a weapon on you? Not at current. Are you con- Did I have a weapon in the chamber? Yes. And I have an enhanced concealed carry permit. But the issue has not been addressed. The speaker cut off the microphone, notified the clerk, cut off the microphone, and had a sergeant at arms to escort me out. Do you think or do you know of other legislators inside of the House of chamber? Course. The majority of us are friends. And, you know, being that we have put a push on being able to carry anywhere at any time under any circumstances or conditions, there are a lot of members that carry. I'm not going to call any names again. They're my friends. But the question still remains. And the issue that needs to be addressed is that question. Will this be enforced at the Capitol? Which rule of law are we going to follow? And I would recommend that you interview the JLB chair, because I don't think his logic is going to be the same as my logic. Representative Young referred to the Judiciary B chairman, who is Republican Representative Andy Gibson of Braxton, who also chairs the House Ethics Committee. Representative Gibson tells our Desiree Frazier he's trying to prevent the threat of a lawsuit against the state. If House Bill 1083 does not pass, there will be a lawsuit. 
uh, by some very reputable attorneys against these institutions that have for seven years violated state law and thumbed their nose at our Second Amendment rights. Um, I think they need to take that under consideration before they issue these blanket uh, veiled threats to roll back our Second Amendment laws. I take it as a threat. I took it as a threat uh, when I read that letter, when it was released immediately after we passed the bill. And I just read it and thought to myself, they obviously don't know what the law is and has been. And all the people who argued against it on the floor yesterday voted for that law in 2011. Every single person who got up, including the person who spoke against it today, voted for enhanced concealed carry, the broadest carry rights that we have in the state, the safest concealed carry licensees. And now these out-of-state forces are trying to require us to roll back our personal freedoms and right to carry. Good luck with that. Universities have interpreted the law to mean they can define public spaces and have mostly excluded sports venues, dormitories, classrooms. Judges and counties have also reacted negatively to allowing people to carry guns everywhere except an active courtroom. Southeastern Conference Commissioner Greg Sankey sent a letter Wednesday saying the conference opposes guns at sports venues. While Representative Gibson has not identified the entity that would file suit, he says he does not agree with Young's actions in the chamber. I have been contacted by a group of attorneys with a group of enhanced concealed carry licensees. One of the reasons I brought this bill forward was to try to avoid that from happening. I'm not sure it can be avoided, uh, but what we do have in House Bill 1083 is a process that a citizen can challenge the ban. They can fix the ban or they can continue to ignore the law. If they continue to ignore the law, then that person could go to court and get injunctive relief to make them change their policy to comply with the law. You mentioned a letter. What was the letter? It was a letter that was issued right after we passed the bill yesterday uh, by the SEC to the president of Ole Miss and Mississippi State saying something, it was a carefully worded letter to the effect saying something that their desire was that there be an exception for the concealed care weapons on campus and that they were against 1083. What they obviously did not know or maybe do not understand is it's already the law, has been for seven years. So what they may not know they're asking is for us to repeal part of our enhanced concealed carry statute. I'm not sure the votes exist to do that in the Mississippi legislature, notwithstanding their threats. Uh, And so uh, I would just encourage them to read the law and get educated about it. So how do you manage the situation that occurred today? What is the argument there? So the gentleman from Lauderdale, uh, he said he had an enhanced concealed carry license. The House and Senate rules provide that persons authorized by law to carry concealed weapons may carry them, and persons who are approved by the House and Senate to carry them may carry them. And I can tell you that a number of members apparently including the gentleman from Lauderdale, do carry for our personal protection. I have personally received death threats. My family has received death threats. However, I would never brandish a weapon in a dangerous public way. He contends there isn't a hard, fast rule that um, weapons can or cannot be carried in the House and one needs to be established? I think the rule is very clear. The, The law is very clear. Enhanced concealed carry holders can carry at any meeting of the legislature or committee thereof under House Bill 506 that was approved in 2011. The rule says, unless authorized by law, 
a person cannot carry guns in the legislature or the gallery. The law authorizes enhanced concealed carry holders. Law enforcement officers come here all the time also. They're authorized by law. They have weapons on them. None of them would ever brandish their weapon in what I deem a very unsafe and unprofessional manner. House Judiciary Chairman Andy Gibson with our Desiree Frazier. Representative Steve Holland of Tupelo says he's against the actions of both lawmakers. Well, I thought it was a pretty dramatic move on the part of the gentleman from Meridian to pull a gun up. But I understand the high emotions of this and the way I see this. This is exactly the reason we should not even have this bill on the floor to start with. Anytime you've got an emotionally charged situation, such as a courthouse, such as a football game at Ole Miss or State, or anything of that nature where somebody even with a concealed permit can pull that gun out and shoot the ref if he don't like the call, that is bizarre. That is totally bizarre. So the gentleman uh, has got to live with what he did. I wish he hadn't have done it, but that was his call to make a point. The thing that just gets me is we continue session after session to be bombarded with these gun bills, these Second Amendment bills, allegedly, that are really wreaking havoc on our society as far as I'm concerned. We've got the Second Amendment. No, nobody up here, Democrat, Republican, man, woman, black, white, is against the Second Amendment. But this is ridiculous to say that you can carry a a gun with a concealed permit in the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Now, that's ludicrous. Shouldn't happen. Or in the courtroom or the courthouse where my mother's a judge in Tupelo. Ridiculous. Well, the argument is they do have the concealed carry permit, and as a result, they should be able to. I don't care how many permits they got. It's no place for a gun, period. I don't care how much education they got. I am against it. It should not happen with a concealed carry permit in a building like this, in the university hospital, in any courthouse of the 82 in the state of Mississippi, or or really certainly not in a football stadium at Oxford or Hattiesburg or Starkville or Valley. But Gibson shouldn't have brought that bill out. He knew what kind of fury it was going to stir up, but he continues to bring them out. So, you know, he, he got appointed by the speakers, chairman of that committee. He's got a right to do that. But by God, I got a right to oppose it and speak vehemently against it. And that's what I did. Democratic Representative Steve Holland with our Desiree Frazier. House Bill 1083 is headed to the Senate for review. Coming up, Mississippi lawmakers in the House passed their version of a bill to keep Medicaid operating. This is a long process. I ensure you we'll be working on this Medicaid bill for the rest of the session. We'll hear about some of the bill's proposals. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Normally, I don't recommend eavesdropping, but feel free to join in on my conversations. This week, our guest is award-winning filmmaker Stanley Nelson. One thing, you know, that, that, that this film made me think about is, is, I mean, if you stop and think about it and say, okay, look, I'm enslaved. All I know is this plantation. I don't know that there's an Africa. I don't know that there's a Europe. I don't know anything except what I'm told. Sundays at 5.30 and Thursdays at 10 on MPB. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. A House version of a bill to keep Mississippi's Medicaid program operating includes rebidding contracts and creating a pilot program for sick children. MPB's Desiree Frazier reports. 
Mississippi House Bill 898 takes the limits off doctor visits and prescriptions. The measure requires hospitals create a plan to reduce preventable admissions and reduces home leave days for nursing home patients from 52 to 42 days. The bill keeps an exemption that allows providers to be reimbursed at a rate of 90 percent. House Republican Jason White of Holmes County authored the bill. He talked about the need to cut costs and improve health outcomes during the debate. Our budget keeps growing. Folks keep fussing about Medicaid. Move this bill forward. It's a first attempt at finding some common ground in a reasonable manner with cost stop procedures where deficits are looming. Medicaid costs $1 billion in state funding annually. Lawmakers approved an amendment to fund medically-assisted treatment for opioid abuse and other highly addictive use disorders. The bill calls for the Mississippi Division of Medicaid to void contracts it awarded to three managed care companies and request new bids. Allegations the former director had ties to one of the firms has led to complaints. House Democrat John Hines of Greenville. And there are just some concerns about how the bid process went. Uh, I think one company sued based upon what is taking place. So what we were trying to do is find a way to dissolve what was going on and make the process a little more transparent. The bill also requires annual audits of the managed care program by peer and the state auditor. An amendment to expand Medicaid by allowing hospitals and providers to form partnerships failed. Desiree Frazier, MPB News. Coming up, here from the head of a program that has placed teachers in underserved parts of the state for 25 years. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hey, y'all, it's Felder Rushing. I'm the Gestalt Gardener, and I am so pleased to join y'all every week talking about gardening. You know, you don't have to be anybody or join anything to be part of this party. All we're going to do is talk about gardening and garden-related stuff and maybe a little psychology working in at the same time. Let's have a lot of fun on the Gestalt Gardener. Fridays at 9 and Saturdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Today, alumni of Teach for America in the Mississippi and Arkansas regions are celebrating the program's 25-year history serving the region. The reunion comes as state legislative efforts to reform education take a turn. A proposal to spend more of Mississippi's public money to send children to private schools appears dead in the legislature. A key element in the debate over school choice has been the struggle to find and retain teachers. Dr. Barbara Logan-Smith is executive director for Teach for America Mississippi. She tells us they work to improve education as well as communities. I think what people most need to know is that we're often thought of for one part of our mission. We do work in classrooms, um, but our real work is about recruiting really promising leaders. And in Mississippi, Teach for America actually has about 20% of the leaders that we work with who are of and from homegrown in Mississippi. And so they're actually teaching in the same state that they grew up in. And so they spend two years um, at a minimum in classrooms, working with kids, working with communities to build real lasting and strong partnerships so that they have a real understanding of context, which is critically important for leaders in and outside the classroom. But I think the part of our mission that is often not as clear is that folks that join us are joining, making a long-term investment in educational equity and excellence and pursuing that from whatever field of work they decide to go into. And so within the state, we actually have lots of folks who have 
stayed beyond the two-year commitment, made homes, built real-life long-term relationships where they are serving as doctors, as lawyers, uh, policy advocates, serving in a variety of fields, including continuing to teach and school leadership. How many teachers in the program are in Mississippi teaching right now? Right now, we have about 130 teachers who are currently in their first two-year commitment, first uh, the commitment that they serve initially, which is two years. We've got about 130 teachers doing that. Over the course of our 25 years in the state, we've brought in more than 1,800 folks um, who have served as teachers across the, the region. These teachers are, in many cases, in very poor rural areas in the state. How many come in and they go, oh, I don't, I don't think I can do this. This looks like a real challenge here. <laughs> it's an honest question, right? And what I would say to you is we do a lot of work with our teachers even before they land to be leaders in the community. We do a lot of work helping them understand the context, helping them understand the history, helping them understand the ramifications of that history on what is and is not happening in some of the poorest communities in our state. But we also build real muscle around resilience and around the idea that those children, just like every other kid in the country, deserve great leadership in their classrooms and deserve to have teachers who are willing to hold a really high bar for their learning and to support them in meeting it. And so through the training and development and support that we have and the community that we're able to build among our network of teachers and alumni, but also among lots of community members and constituents, we're usually able to help folks get over any initial shock um, of coming from other places to <laughs> <laughs> Shock is probably a good word. Um, tell us about the changes over 25 years. I assume there have to be a number of changes in Teach for America in Mississippi. We've made adjustments to uh, what our standards were, as has the entire educational landscape and community. As we think about what kids are really going to need to survive the ever-changing 21st century context, there have been several different changes. For instance, we have really picked up our work on literacy. We recognize that our kids are brilliant, and many of them are also behind in developing the knowledge and skills that they need to really be able to navigate every subject area to understand and to be understood. And so we've made um, some pretty cool changes, really incorporated a lot of technology use, really created a lot of opportunity for learning and development to be constant. And so what is true for our teachers that is not always true if we provide the support on the classroom floor, you learn to teach by teaching. So we've made some adjustments there. The other thing that we've done is really started thinking through what's the impact, what's the legacy that we want to leave, and how do we really set folks up so that the impact that they have today can be lasting even if they don't choose to stay for more than two years, but especially if they do. And so we've done things like work with Delta State and some local funders to actually create a social entrepreneurship fellowship. And so we have an opportunity for our alumni to think about the kinds of things that they saw when they were teaching, to think about what they recognized as necessary and needed in the communities where they are. And then through their leadership and through the learning that they do in this project, they're actually able to put something in place to address something that they saw and really wanted to work towards. Um, and so that's what I would say I'd, I'd highlight. Tell us about the merging of Mississippi with Arkansas. We actually spent more years with Arkansas as one region than we spent apart. We've been apart for the last four years, um, but we recognize that 
there's just an, an opportunity for us as a combined region, again, two states with really similar circumstances, serving small urban communities, serving rural communities, that there's an opportunity for us to maximize our resources, that there's an opportunity for us to work together and to learn from and with each of those two states and to have a greater and stronger impact. Merging is actually going to bring us a force of more than 700 people working in the educational space to improve the opportunities for kids in both places. And that's what we're excited about. Dr. Barbara Logan Smith is the executive director of Teach for America, Mississippi. Dr. Smith, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much. The Teach for America anniversary events are being held this weekend in Greenville. For more information, visit teachforamerica.org. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs this morning. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's the Gestalt Gardener. At 10 o'clock, it's Next Stop Mississippi. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy for Women. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again Monday morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition. Only on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from Red Mountain Entertainment, presenting Chris Stapleton with Marty Stewart and Brent Cobb live at the Brandon Amphitheater on Saturday, June 16th. Tickets available Friday at 10 a.m. More information at Ticketmaster.com.